to know that it's out there. It's not just in faraway countries. It's not just on the mission field. It's happening here on our mission field, on our soil. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast. My name is Denise Lee, and I am your host. Before we get going on this episode of the Real Talk 238, I just want to put at the very beginning that a trigger warning on this, because some of the discussion that I had with my guests can possibly be triggering. As you know, if you've listened to the episodes in the past of the ones that I felt needed a trigger warning was for good reason. Some of the words used might be uncomfortable, But when you're dealing with sex trafficking, sometimes that's the reality of it. Anyways, I I just wanted to put a trigger warning out there. Please don't listen to this around young audience unless you feel that individual is mature. And also, if you feel that individual is starting to head down that path and you want to kind of hopefully open their eyes to that. Trigger warning on this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast because this interview is about sex trafficking. I hope you enjoy it. If you know anybody that this would be beneficial, please share this episode with that person. Have a wonderful day. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast. I am excited today about our guest. This is Ellen Torres, and she's from Santa Maria, California. She is the executive director of Casa of Hope. She's been married for nine years to Jose Torres. She does not have any children or pets currently, although there is rumors of a possible dog in the future. She attends Revival Tabernacle Church in Santa Maria, and she's been a part of the church off and on since she was born. And currently, she serves in the ministry as a music director, platform coordinator, pastoral administrative assistant, and a Sunday school teacher. And she describes herself as she loves life finally. 
where there was a time she just wanted the minutes to keep ticking by. But now there just aren't enough hours in the day to do all she wants to do. She loves to read. She loves to learn. She loves to go walking. And she loves her daily prayer time with her best friend, which is her husband. She loves to help others in need. She loves to sing. And she, most of all, she loves Jesus. And she loves life today. As she says, praise God. A fun fact about Ellen is that she is the youngest of five, which makes her the baby. Hey, Ellen, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm doing good today. Is there anything you would like to add to that intro? You know, I was just going to say I have been in and out of the church since I was born. My dad was backslidden for 40 years. When I was 23 I, is when I actually got into the church and was filled with the Holy Ghost. I won't ask you your current age, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, us women are kind of funny about some of that stuff. I actually just joined the 40 club. Just a curiosity, when you hit 40, because when I hit the 40 club, I was just thinking, I just don't give a flip what anybody else thinks anymore. You know, it's like so freeing. Yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Yeah. You know, now it just, it just doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Only if we could have learned that like back in our 20s, huh? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So I reached out to you prior to getting the podcast going. I think I just got my my mic for the podcast. I was super excited about it. But I seen this article that you had done in Orcut Pioneer. Is that correct? Yeah. And it was about the cast of hope. And I'm reading it and something in here caught my attention. Can you tell our listeners what that was? I am a survivor of human trafficking. And it just really intrigued me. I've got to get you on the podcast. And I called you and you sounded really surprised that here's this strange woman from Alabama calling you like, what do you want, lady? I thought it was really great that you called it. It was really touching that that article had gone that far. It was definitely exciting to me. And I'm, I'm so glad to be able to share my testimony because that's my prayer. That's what it's all about. I'm glad you called. Let's go back to like before you were a victim of human trafficking and sex trafficking. What was going on prior to all that? About how old was you at that time? I was 16 when my family moved from Pennsylvania to California. My parents had sent me out here to live with my half sister because they were still back east selling our house. And one day this guy just followed me home to my sister's house. My brother-in-law chased him away. He circled the house like three times. He was very bold. From there, it just he started following me to school every day from one side of town to the other until eventually my sister made me call my dad. And as soon as he found out, he drove from Pennsylvania to California the next day. I mean, it took him five days to get there, but you know, he left right away. When he got there... He kind of watched the situation for a while. And one day as I was heading to school, he came out back when they had pay phones and he handed me a quarter. And he said, if he's following you today, I want you to pull over and call me. And I said, dad, but I don't want to do that. And he said, do it. So the guy was following me and I pulled over and I was so scared. And I thank God I had some friends with me. And one of them started yelling at the guy 
And I couldn't understand, though, why my dad had done that. Now I know he needed to know that it was true. He needed to hear the fear in my voice that this was really happening. And he made me go to the police station after school. The police knew who the guy was. The, the police officer was laughing. And my dad, it was the first time I had ever seen him cry. He told the officer, he said, if you don't do something, I will. I moved my family to California to give them a better life. So do something or I will. And basically that police officer went and told the guy what my dad said, which was that he would shoot him. You know, from that point on, I never told my dad anything again. The following continued. It didn't stop, but I was just afraid that my dad was going to do something. I felt like it was my fault. You know, it just continued on for years. When you say you felt like it was your fault, can you please describe that more like the reason behind it? I felt like it was my fault because the guy followed me from the park. I had had my music blasting. Like I know I was standing out and I know today that it wasn't my fault. But, you know, at the time, my neighbors, the guy was it was a black man that was following me, black and Mexican. My neighbors didn't know what was going on, but assumed and started calling me an end lover, you know, and then, you know, some other things. And I just, you know, that all of that just made me feel like, wow, this must have been my fault, you know, and my dad had to leave my mom. She was in Pennsylvania and the plan had been, you know, for them to be there together selling the house and he had to leave her to come out there. And I just, I don't know. I, I can't even tell you why. I all, all thought it was my fault, but I did. So the guy's following you, and this went on for several years. Yeah, it went on well into my 20s. There was a time where I went off to Fresno State, so I left this area for a little. And there were some times I didn't see him, which I later found out he was in jail. He went to prison. One of the things the police had told us was, he told my dad, oh, don't worry. He's not going to do anything. He already has two felonies and it was three strikes you're out. At some point he did, he did end up going to prison, but it wasn't just one trafficker. It was a network of tra traffickers, you know, which I later found out. So throughout the years, it wasn't just him. It started with him, but others started coming in. And at points he would try to talk to me. They would try to get to know me. And it, it wasn't until later that I that I realized it was actually a network of guys that was traveling between here, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Las Vegas. And what they would do is they would put these women on Craigslist, put up some kind of an ad. You know, if they were young girls, they would put something like fresh off the boat. That would mean she's under 16 or, you know, something to kind of describe their merchandise, so to speak. And then they would go to a hotel and they would meet the John, the buyer at a hotel, and they would wait outside as the girl went home. So that's kind of how it worked. So they kept following you till you were in your 20s. Where along the way did they finally, did you finally get trapped into it? And I, and I hate using that word, but that's the only way I can think of. I volunteered at a place here in Alabama, actually, 
that is very similar to Cast of Hope and just the stories that I would hear from these these women that, you know, they would get trapped in. Some some of them didn't even, uh, was very, very young, very young. Um, I'm not even going to say the age, but definitely younger than 10. You know, they were looking for that father figure. They were looking for somebody to give them comfort and hope and but it was just all a facade. Right. Exactly. That's what they want to do. They want to come in and, and fulfill that, that role, that feeling of loneliness, that, you know, lack of a father or a mother or whatever in their lives. That's exactly what they want to do. They want to fill that void and step in and basically become their God. And that's what they do, you know, and, and trapped is the right word. The definition for human trafficking uses force fraud and coercion so you know they're either forcing these women they're either frauding them you know in one way or another selling them a fairy tale dream that one day you know they're gonna have this big mansion together or you know some story or coercion somehow they're they're coercing them you know maybe it's maybe it's that fairy tale maybe it's i know where your family lives maybe it's you know maybe they took someone when they were just a baby when they were 11 or 12 which is about the the age that you know is most common and telling them when they're in their 20s well you're washed up now nobody wants you you might as well stay with me you know it just there's so many different ways that they do it and the reality is is that traffickers do less time than drug dealers and a human body can be sold over and over and over again. Whereas drugs, you have to re-up, you have to get money, but a body, you know, can just be used over and over and over again. And so a lot of drug dealers are turning to human trafficking with the biggest reason being because they'll do less time. They'll do so much less time than they would if they were selling drugs. So about... At what point did, you know, did you get entrapped into it? Like I said, I I had gotten into church, gotten the Holy Ghost when I was 23. Eventually, they ended up coming into the church. I remember I was on the platform praising by myself, and I was singing, I feel the joy of the Lord. And one of those traffickers came walking down the aisle I didn't know he was a trafficker at the time. I just knew he was somebody I had met in town. You know how I'd been saying they uh, it had been different people following me or trying to meet me. It was one of those guys. So I didn't know he was a trafficker at the time. And he had his hands raised. He was walking down to the altar. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, he, he's going to get the Holy Ghost. That's what I thought. He ended up coercing me out of the church. He was the nephew to a very well-known Christian artist. There was a well-known person that owned a music studio in town where it ended up being this whole network of traffickers. Just so the listening audience knows that when you said Christian traffickers, you did the air quotes. I did. So I just, yeah. just want to throw that in there real quick. Yeah. So he was a nephew of this artist. Yes. So he he talked me into going to this music studio that was owned 
by another well-known person um, in Hollywood. I ended up recording some music, some writing some songs there. He was doing modeling as well. So he was taking pictures of me, you know, telling me all these things, you know, and I knew in my heart, ultimately what I, I was doing was wrong. So I, there is some accountability there for me. And I, I, I never, I would never place that blame on someone. Had I been prayed up, reading the word of God, you know, not, not lost sight of that. I, I think back to that and I think maybe I could have really won him to the Lord, but they did. They, they brought me into this music studio. Um, after I, a while, I realized, you know, what they were doing there and they were trafficking girls. They were putting them on Craigslist. You know, eventually they ended up, they, they, they had come right out and asked me, if I was willing to do what they were doing, you know, go on these websites and to sell myself, to prostitute myself. And I said, no. During all this time, were they still coming into the church or was it just that one time? Just that one time that he came in there. Yeah. And it's funny because later on, one of the girls in the church, I I brought it up because I knew she knew him. I don't, I, I don't know how, but, um, she said, yeah, he's a pimp. I said, what? She said, yeah, he sits outside our high school looking for little girls every day. And I said, what? You know, I had no idea. But she knew exactly who he was. One of our girls, one of our youth. But eventually they, they just tried to break me. I ended up going to a club one night. The bouncer at the door had actually grown up in church. He was backslidden. And so um, when I got there that night, I handed him my car keys and I said, don't let me drive tonight. You know, I knew I was going to drink. And at the end of the night, the DJ came up to both of us. He was going to drive me home. The guy that grew up in the church, the DJ came up to us and he said, Hey, you guys, you got to come to this after party. And he was talking real fast. And um, we were both like, no, that's okay. And then he's like, come on, just come for a little bit. And so he talked us into it. I told my friend, I said, Hey, well, let me go move my car to the front. I, I had parked in the back of the club and I said, don't worry, I'll be okay. And this, this other guy walked up. I said, oh, I'll walk her back there. I'll walk her back there. And it was one of the guys from that music studio. So he walked me to my car. When we got there, he said, I just remember he kept saying, you know, I feel like, I feel like something's going to happen tonight. I, I don't know. I just have this feeling. But you know you can always call me, right? I'm always here for you. I'll always be here for you. I'll, I'll have my phone on you, you know, just. You can always call me no matter what. No, I'll be here. And meanwhile, as he's saying this to me, that DJ is walking from the club to the dumpster. He was taking you know, the trash to the dumpster. But the, but the other guy walks away from me and I'm going to get in my car. And here comes the DJ and he's moving so fast and he's talking so fast. And he's like telling me that my friend that, that I was, that was going to drive me home had told him to just go with me, to just go with him. And so he was pretty much dragging me, um, pulling me to his van. He had the music studio van um, from the local radio station. 
he just kept saying, he said, it's okay. He said, it's okay. Like, just come with me. You can call him when we get in the van. He grabbed his phone to call him, made up some, some excuse and, or pretended to talk to him or something. And then he said, we're just going to go by the music studio real quick or the music station and, and grab a bottle of tequila. That's what he said. And he said, my friend said he was going to meet me at the hotel where the after party was. He takes me to the, to the music station and I get there and he offers me a shot of tequila. I remember going to the bathroom and I, had, I passed out in there and he came pounding on the door and I came out and I just remember him being at the front of the music station at the, at the, at the doors looking both ways. I don't know if he was talking to somebody or what. I just, I remember that clearly. And then uh, he took me back in his office and gave me another shot. And the last thing I remember is being in my bedroom at home with my hands up like this. That I, I woke up standing with my hands raised in the air. I just, I just came to, I realized my purse wasn't where I had put it. I couldn't remember anything at that moment. Now, did, do you think that by chance they may have drugged your, your drink? They definitely did. Yeah. The next morning I woke up, the guy that had walked in the church called me that morning. I mean, it was all a setup. It was all, you know, they were just trying to break me, but he called me and he said, you know, I said, wow, I feel weird, kind of explained a little. And he said, it sounds like they drugged you. You know, um, I heard about this in school. Um, that morning, I could not even crawl to the bathroom. I had to pull on the rug, pull my way just, just to move across the floor. My doctor said it looks like they had dragged me as if I was already dead in the body bag. I was so beaten so broken up and that that was their plan ultimately was to try to break me the guy at the car remember you know he was there for me if i needed him you know he was trying to create they were trying to create something to where i would need them where i would you know you know my dad had passed away had just passed away and i probably had shared that with them you know but they wanted to fill that that void that was now created in me um, from what I had just went through. They did drug me with horse tranquilizer and methamphetamines. I, I didn't really piece it all together until it had happened early, early Saturday morning, Friday night to Saturday morning. Tried to tell my mom she couldn't understand what I was saying. Sunday came and we did. She kind of pieced it together too. And she ended up taking me to the hospital. I had a panic attack in the hospital. I, I could not breathe. They tried to give me medicine. I couldn't breathe. All of a sudden, I felt this hand on my head. And he said, just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. And I immediately started speaking in tongues. And it was my pastor. So your pastor was there at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yes, he came in. Yeah. And if he hadn't, I don't know. I just don't know what would have happened. Because like I said, they tried to give me medicine and everything. And I, my throat was just, I just couldn't breathe. And so I thank God that he came that day. Um, and he sat there with me 
and my mom through the police interview. After, you know, after we left the hospital, we met in a conference room with the police and he sat there with me through it all. Did they ever piece together like what all happened during the time that they drugged you and until you came to? The police hadn't wanted to do the SARP exam. I, I, they did it at the very end of the window and there was no more evidence. They didn't want to drive. It was football weekend and they made that very clear to us. They had also said they were going to, they said, we have to have you come in the police station as soon as possible. Uh, we have to have you call from there. It'll come up as a payphone, but we need you to try to talk to the DJ to try to get him to say something, you know, and we have to do it right away because it's going to get out. People are going to hear. When they didn't call me like they said they would, I ended up calling a couple weeks later. They told me they had priority cases over mine. They told me that a few times. They didn't call me in. It was probably three or four months later when they wanted me to come in. And there was no way I was coming in. It was too late. And them telling me that they had cases that took priority over mine just, I mean, it, it destroyed me even more. Yeah. So no, they never did. I ended up going back to Pennsylvania. I was too scared to be here. And so I lived, I ended up falling into heroin addiction over there. I had started using meth here and, and fell into heroin over there and ultimately met my husband over there in the streets. In Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yeah. It was over there that we really got our lives back together. Both of us, we were both uh, using together. He ended up going to jail and we thought he was going to go away for a very long time. When he was in there, that's when I, I just made up my mind, you know what, I want my life back. You know, I, I want my life back. And I put the scripture, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I wrote it on a big poster board and I put it on the wall in my bedroom. And I had been doing about $300, $400 worth of heroin a day. I mean, I was so destroyed. I was so broken. I was so just paranoid all the time. How were you getting the funds to support the heroin? So that's a lot of money. Yeah, I was. I, 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 I had fallen into the very thing that I didn't want to do. And that was selling myself. And it's called survival trafficking. You know, basically when you are prostituting yourself to survive. And that's what I was doing. That when I left here is when I started falling into that. The, the very thing I was so against and I, you know, I knew what they were doing here. And, and when I left here and, and that had happened to me being attacked, I was like, I'll never do that. You know, that's, I just, I'll never do it. And I started doing it once here, once there, to feed my drug habit, to medicate myself with the heroin. I, I just, I did it to do, to get what I needed. You know, it had become the very thing that, that I was so against, you know, it was what I needed. And so thankfully, there was a day that came and you were like, I, I need to get back to my old self. What happened at that point? 
you know, my husband, like I said, was in jail and he was doing good in there. He was doing Bible studies with people. He had just gotten it together. He had the Holy Ghost. He'd been baptized. I had taken him to church, a, a United Pentecostal church there in Pennsylvania. And he really had just gotten a hold of God. And my love for him, my, you know, I, I had held on to God throughout all that time. And God was still speaking to me. I would always see, let me see if I can describe it, like the twink, like it's light, but I would see it like in the twinkle of an eye, just this, you know, little, little star almost, or twinkle, it was a twinkle. I knew that God was telling me he was still with me. And I would see that every now and then as I was in that backslidden state. And so I did not want my husband to come out to the same life we had been living. And I wanted my life back with God. I was determined. I just had a made up mind and I kicked at home and I did not get sick. Not one time. Really? Not one time. Wow. Cause I know I've, I've worked with people who've come off heroin and it's, it's just horrible. Oh yeah. Just the, the sickness and yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. Um, and I've had those times, but that time I did not because I was so determined and I had to get up and I had to go do things. I had to get things done to help my husband while he was in there. I was just determined. God held me the whole way through that. And I did not get sick. Not once. That's, that's a miracle in itself. Yeah. I'll just say. Yeah, absolutely. And every morning I woke up and I saw that poster and I held on to that um, because I had been living in so much fear, you know, since I had gone through that, that attack and that rape um, in Santa Maria. And I just, God just gave me that scripture and I probably didn't even comprehend it all at the time. I look back now and I'm just like, wow, that was the most perfect scripture. I mean, absolutely the one that I needed. And he gave me that. He gave me peace. He gave me a sound mind. He gave me his love and he held me through all of it. And he pieced, you know, he put the pieces of my broken life back together. And that was in the beginning of 2015. And look at me now. You know, I would never have thought my life would be back together so quickly. When I was in that state of mind, I thought, well, I thought for years, I can never get my life back. My credit is so destroyed. And, you know, how do I do this? How did I do this? I can't, I can't do it. You know, that's what would go through my head. You've just, you've messed up so bad. It'll take years, you know, to get your life back together. And God took all those thoughts and he just stomped all over them because here I am. I mean, an executive director, I yeah. still had to figure out what all that means. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a felony now. You know, when I fell into the heroin addiction after I was attacked, I ended up with a felony. I have misdemeanors. I got all these consequences for what I, you know, I chose. I I know that, you know, nobody deserves to be trafficked. Nobody deserves to 
you know, to be fed all of these lies and, you know, sold these dreams and these fairy tales and all of that. But I look back at where I was in my walk with God and somewhere along the way, I, I lost, you know, I lost it. I stopped reading the word. My worship became routine. I was just going through the motions of church. I, I started playing church. And that's where the enemy just walked right in those church doors and took me right out. And so I will never do that again. Now, how can pastors like, because, you know, pastors need to be aware of this with somebody who's walking into their church, who's pretending to be prayed through, what have you, but in actuality, they're a trafficker, they're a pimp. Right. So how, how, how could pastors, what do they need to look out for? I had heard you know, I wasn't the only girl in the church. They were really targeting our church at the time. I can't really say, you know, what to be looking out for because you just never know, you know, God knows the heart. But I do think it's important that people are educated on human trafficking to know that it's out there. It's not just in faraway countries. It's not just on the mission field. It's happening here on our mission field on our soil. I just think, you know, God says there's power in our testimonies. You know, a lot of churches, we don't have testimony services like we used to, but I think it's good to, to allow somewhere, you know, maybe not the same way that it used to be done because God does things. He, you know, he brings new things every day, but, you know, I think allowing testimonies to be shared like this people need to hear so that they're aware that you know this is really happening that you know the enemy targets us we're the target right he doesn't need to target somebody that's not not seeking god or not serving god we're the target so we're the ones that need to be most aware of his tactics you know yes. and that was the tactic right there he sent somebody in and he had a plan and it worked because I was not where I needed to be in God. I just think it's good to have people come in to share testimonies, to educate in the right setting. So as far as like these young ladies and it could range, usually a prime target is right around from what I, my research I've done is, and I may be wrong on this, but usually it's around... 12 to 14 years of age. And this isn't a problem just for girls. Right. You know, this is also guys are trafficked as well. Oh, yeah. You know, so what type of things do these traffickers say to, you know, I know they try to fill in this gap, this empty hole. Right. They give the biggest thing is that they give that victim, that potential victim, their full attention. They shower them with attention. They compliment them. They flatter them. They tell them, you know, how beautiful they are, that nobody can compare to them. All of that, it's all about giving them attention that, that they may not be getting somewhere else. So they latch on to that. They could be telling them, you know, just how much they love them, what a great life they can have together how they can take care of them, support them and give them all of these things that they've never had. And the thing is, they're targeting kids that they see that that are standing out in one way or another. Somebody that's that's different from the rest of the crowd. For me, 
it was, I had come from Pennsylvania. I was 16. My music was different. My dress was different. You know, I was totally different from the other girls here. And I stood out. And so that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that girl with her head down. They're looking for that girl after school that's walking by herself and not with the other girls. They're looking for that girl that that is dressed different, maybe provocatively, or you know, maybe not, just maybe different, but maybe the girl with the blue hair, somebody that is sticking out because we know that, you know, when kids are doing things like that, they're they're seeking something. Something's going on or or, or attention, once again, something, something is going on there. And they, they know that. They have actually, these pimps and traffickers have gotten together, and there's actually several books now, but they have created a pimp Bible. A pimp Bible. A pimp Bible, yes. And they're giving this to these guys in high school. That's what they're doing. They're passing it around. They're making sure it gets out there. Pimps recruit. They recruit all the time. They're looking for these high school guys. You know, it's not just the the survivors that is becoming such a problem or, or has been a problem, but it's that these guys are recruiting young men as well. When it comes to recruiting, they're recruiting these young guys to become pimps, but they're also using the women as well. Many girls in what is called a stable the traffickers call it a stable, just like a human human herd of horses, or they'll call it a human herd, but they'll have one girl that they call the bottom bee. Yeah. She'll be in charge of the stable, but each girl will be required to recruit so many other girls to be brought into the stable as well. You know, they're given a quota. You have to bring in so many girls. You have to make so much money tonight or you're not going to eat or you're not going to shower or you're going to have to stay in this room. Everything becomes earned. Everything is a reward, a glass of water, a piece of toast. You know, you have to earn this amount of money or you're not going to have a drink of water until you do. That's kind of how it it works. So it definitely just totally like you said it breaks it breaks these girls down or these young men down until they will comply with what whatever it is the trafficker wants to do and you know and i know this this today is about sex trafficking but there's also other forms of trafficking and i don't know if people are aware of this there's labor trafficking that's that's another huge one Oh, yeah, especially out here in California. You know, you hear about it all the time. In the next county over from us, there is a trafficker that, you know, they just have not been able to nail him. But he's got acres, hundreds of acres of land and several victims that are being forced to go out into the fields and work out there. The problem is a lot of times that they're connected in high places. And so it's allowed to carry on. But yeah, labor trafficking over here is right up there, you know, with sex trafficking. Yeah, there's survival trafficking, like I mentioned earlier, just doing it to survive, basically. When I, when I teach on human trafficking, 
there is something that we call the streams of influence. It can be a trafficker. It can be social media. It can be music, television, movies, commercials. Everything out there today is screaming trafficking. You listen to these songs and the guy saying, I'm going to pimp my, you know, whatever. It's saying it like it's a cool thing. This is the thing to do. It's a, it's cool to be a pimp, a P-I-M-P. That's what today's music is saying. And you see it everywhere, right? Girls come in and they tell me what they've seen on TV or in movies and it's, it's all there. You know, it's all saying, this is cool. This is what we should be doing. The woman is, is, is a hoe. That's what they're saying. And so why wouldn't they believe it? Why not believe that that's what you are? That's all you are. Or just do it. You might as well make some money off of it, right? If you're going to do it, make some money at least. You know, that's what these songs and these movies are saying today. Now, what could you say to the church or a pastor that they'll have? I mean, because we are in such a day and time that people are coming out of this as well. Because like in your case, they're trying to find, you know, maybe this. I know when I was volunteering, I'll never forget this, but there was a young woman. There was actually a couple of them, but they had a Pentecostal background. I don't know. In my mind, I'm thinking, how, how do you go from having this background to being here. And of course, like you said, they get, you know, they get pulled into it because they're, these traffickers are trying to fill this void. What could you say to the church that as these individuals start coming out of this, you know, are getting away from this traffic life, uh, from being trafficked, what could the church do to help those individuals? Love them. Just love them. Let them know that they're loved. Give them the attention that that they need during that time. Because when you do come out of something like this, you feel so broken. You feel so unloved. You feel so worthless and hopeless. Just let them know that they're loved, that that they are of value to God, that God loves them, that he can put back the broken pieces of their life and use them for his glory. But we have to be aware. We have to watch what's going on because right now, human human trafficking is the hot topic. It's happening because, like I said earlier, drug dealers, criminals, they're, they're switching over to human trafficking. It's more money. It's, again, you can sell the same person over and over again and not have to worry about getting more money to re-up to go buy drugs or something like that. It's happening in the church. It's absolutely happening in the church. The enemy is targeting our church, the church of the living God. So we have to be aware. We have to be watching out for our kids. And we can't be afraid to talk about human trafficking in church. It's in the Bible. Oh, yeah. It's since the beginning of time. It's been happening. So we've got to talk about it. It's the word of God, and it's happening still today. So I've heard some preachers that do really talk about human trafficking, Rashidi Collins. Um, you know, he's not afraid to talk about it. And I, I appreciate that because, and I can understand it's, 
you know, human trafficking is, you know, it's not a pretty topic. I often hear people say it's a dark topic, but that's what we're fighting against. That's what we're up against is the darkness. And so we need to be able to tell our people about it. We've got to let people know so that they're aware. If they don't know, the Bible says to be aware of his tactics. And so we've got to be prepared. We've got to know that this is happening, that, that we are the church and we are the target. The target is on our back. Why not educate one another about it? Exactly. And that's, you know, that's one reason why I am having this podcast, because I'm taking those what I call the taboo topics, or as you called it, the dark topics, because it's not being addressed. So many different topics are not being addressed. And that's one reason why I wanted to have this podcast, because I can't tell you the just the messages I get from people saying, thank you. Thank you for bringing awareness to this. Thank you for talking about this. Thank you. I did not know anybody else went through this besides me. It's so important to bring that awareness. Um, As we wrap up, just talk to that, to that young lady or that young man out there who's been trafficked and is wanting to get out, or maybe they, they've just gotten out of it and they're kind of like at this you know, crossroads of they don't know what to do. You know, I just want to tell you that God loves you. He loves you. You didn't do anything to deserve what you've been through. You are beautiful. You are special to God. He loves you with an everlasting love. And, you know, no matter what you've been through, if you've known God, he will always accept you back home. And he wants you to come home. You know, there's nothing like somebody that's been through what you've been through. So to that little girl or little boy out there that has been trafficked and needs somebody to talk to, I'm always here. I will always make myself available. You're not alone. There are many, many, many out there that have been through what you've been through. And you can do this. You can get through this. You can piece your life back together. God can help you to do that. And one day you're going to be sitting where I'm sitting, leading some organization, leading some business, sharing your story, finding the purpose in your testimony. And you are more than just a survivor. You are going to be an overcomer. And There are big things in store for you. God always has a purpose and you're going to be great in his kingdom. Such a powerful testimony you have. And what, when you was talking, I was thinking about a saying I heard several years ago that said, God prepared you for what he has already prepared you for. That makes me think about how we sometimes as people, we've fallen down and we get up, we fall down. And we think God can't ever use us, but he can, he's using me, he's using you. And it's, I think it takes those people who have walked through some very dark valleys and have gotten to the other side that he, he does use because there's always going to be more people out there and people that I can reach that you can't, you know, I can reach them. People that I can't reach that obviously you can, because that's your ministry, that's your calling. Right. And this is something I do want to add to this. No matter what we've gone through in life, it's not a waste. 
God will take it and use it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. Thank you so much again, Ellen, for being on the podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed having you. Oh, you're welcome. And I thank you for what you're doing because you're right. You know, um, you're going to be helping a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.